Yo, greetings and salutations. STL here to queue up another episode of the Remix Series. In case you've missed it, the Remix Series is where we play interviews I've done on other podcasts all related to our branding culture. In this week's episode, my co-founder Ben and I are on the Conquer the Noise podcast where we talk about our partnership at Gooder, communication, 1% for the planet, and a bunch of other random stuff. Jonathan and the whole Conquer the Noise podcast team were awesome to work with. And if you like what you hear, please go to their feed and subscribe. The most exciting thing about this podcast was Ben was on it with me. Ben is like a kiwi bird. You know, we all know about kiwi birds, but seeing them in a wild is kind of rare. Think about it. Have you ever seen a kiwi bird in the wild or met anyone who has? Well, guess what? If you've ever met Ben, then the answer is yes. Fun fact. Ben once saw a kiwi bird in the wild when we, he lived in New Zealand. Anyways, as we talked about in this episode, I believe everyone should have a partner when starting a business, and I'm grateful that Ben is mine. Enjoy. Conquer the Noise is a podcast produced by Unconquered, an independent agency challenging brand perspective through redefined content. This podcast is dedicated to telling stories of outstanding ideas and people who have found their way amongst the chatter. Well, Ben, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you making the time. I know you guys are quite busy with all the success you've had in the last few years. So welcome. Thanks for having us. This is wonderful. Yeah, thanks for having us, Sean. Yeah. So um, you guys are, are partners. How long have you guys been uh, known each other? How did this whole uh, endeavor start? Ben, you want to take it? Go ahead. Uh, I'll take the first part and then I'll let you, uh, I'll let you do the, the history. Oh, gooder. Um, yeah, I mean, Steven and I have known each other since high school. Um, so I don't remember which year of high school it was, but you know, kind of back in the day, we both grew up, um, in Arvada, Colorado, um, and just, you know, managed to kind of stay connected and, and stay friends that entire time through, you know, post high school, college, and then whatever kind of crazy adventures went on there. And I mean, Steven moved to LA 2007, maybe Steven, is that right? Yeah, 2007, 2008. Um, and I made the poor decision of going to law school about that same time. Um, but, you know, kept in contact and, um, you know, throughout that time, just kind of randomly started running together. Uh, well, not together, but running at the same time, uh, getting into distance running. And yeah, just kept, you know, had conversations about that, went to random races together, uh, would travel in that kind of situation. So always, always kind of had conversations around uh, running and our running adventures. But uh, yeah, I don't know if Stephen, you want to talk about kind of the, 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 how that yeah, led to good. I mean, but... Ben glossed over just like a thousand, just hooligan adventures <laughs> in high school, high school and college and, you know, around the world, uh, uh, which is right. Cause we don't keep it classy. And then, yeah, from a gooder standpoint, it was weird how we both got in running. I got in a little earlier than Ben, but both kind of fell in love with it. And in 2014, we were training apart but separate to run the Grand Traverse, which is uh, Cresta Butte to Aspen. It's like 40 miles-ish. And uh, that was 2014. And in there, ran a lot, talked a lot about running. It, when we, we'd see each other, you know, a handful of times a year. And, uh, you know, I think Ben brought it up. He was like, you know, I think we should start, like, a company that revolved around running and, like, fun and fashion because – we just didn't feel like anything like that existed out there. And so mm-hmm. talked about it, talked about it. I had started several companies. And in 2015, uh, I became obsessed with cheap sunglasses uh, because was just dis- and just 
didn't like spending a lot of money on eyewear and I knew a mm -hmm. little bit about the industry because I worked um, in some sports companies and uh, called Ben. I was like, we should do a, uh, we should do running sunglasses. And we got together and wrote a plan and we were off and running. And, and that's the, like the super short version of it, but it was really, it really came from this idea that we ran because we thought it was fun and nothing out there was speaking to us. And so we wanted to do something that spoke to a uh, um, um, fun and, and now we have gooder. Mm -hmm. So I think like, it's interesting. So I have a co-founder as well. So I have a, a business partner. Um, we were friends before, not quite, at, we don't go quite as far back as, as you two. Um, but people ask me who are thinking about bringing in a partner or an investor, you know, advice and my my advice for people is always like tread, tread, tread softly, tread lightly, do your due diligence, do your due, and make sure that you're compatible and you communicate well, because one, I think like partnerships can be really difficult um, to, to manage. And I've seen people lose friendships. I've seen businesses dissolve because they couldn't come to terms or agree on things. Um, you guys obviously have a good chemistry and something, something's working. You know, what do you credit to, um, to, to, having a successful partnership over at Gooder? I'll go first and I, I, yeah, I mean, to, I think it's, yeah, so yeah. I, I believe, uh, you know, everybody always thinks Gooder is an overnight success and it is except for it's the sixth company that have either started or been a part of starting and have uh -huh. yet to like sell a company. So five black marks on the record, but I believe a partner is a really, really good thing because you play off each other. It kind of forces you not to get complacent. Right. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things when you're starting anything is just perfection and your lag time. And mm -hmm. so it's when you have somebody else relying on you, that's a that's a huge benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, compatibility is really important. Ben and I lucked out. We are friends for a long time. But I mean, we didn't other than like working at my dad's golf course together. We didn't we didn't work <laughs> together in a professional setting. Right. Uh, and so that was definitely something that was new. And I think that we're very fortunate in complementary skill sets. Also, we have really, really deep roots and friendship that um, that we have to build on. And uh, from the beginning, I've always been a really big communication person of like mm -hmm. just talking and talking things through. And you know, it, it hasn't been perfect by any means, but um, yeah, I, I think. Uh, so to answer your question, why do I think it is? Deep roots and understanding. So we've had that um, a really high importance placed on communication at Gooder from Ben and I to everyone. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, success covers up all sins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would absolutely double down on the uh, the communication portion of that. It's something that certainly I've uh, I was never good at to begin with, but you know, uh, with Steven's patience, I've gotten a little bit better at. I'm, I'm I'm a, I'm a four instead of a two now, um, on my communication, uh, and my communication skills. So that's, that's good. But it, I mean, it's absolutely essential. I think that's, that's, I mean, obviously any relationship, whether it's, you know, a business partnership or, you know, a marriage or whatever it might be, if you're not communicating effectively, it's, you know, chances are it's not going to succeed. Yeah. Um, and I also think that, you know, we, we, I mean, we were 32, 33 when we kind of started this thing off. Um, and so had, you know, a plenty of life experiences and kind of matured a bit. Um, I would bet a lot of money that if we had started this thing when we were 22, uh, it would have blown up a lot quicker, mm -hmm. a lot sooner and wouldn't have gone as far, <laughs> yep. um, mm -hmm. because, you know, you just, 
it, you're just not as mature, or at least we weren't. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm flabbergasted and blown away by all the really successful entrepreneurs who are you know 20 or 21, who managed to navigate their ways through the kind of emotional minefields of starting a company. It's it's, it's insanely impressive. I could never have done it. Mm-hmm. So you know, being a little bit older and more mature is, you know, it, it's just something I needed and had to had to get to. Um, and then you know I'll I'll, I'll pump uh, I'll pump some legal tires here a little bit just so I can justify mm-hmm. all the student loans I have. But um, <laughs> there's a bit of like good fences make good neighbors situation too. Like you know, we had we had all our legal docs lined up from the get go, um, and so we knew exactly how much everyone owned of what, and so there was never any of those little squabbles that could have led to bigger problems. It's kind of just you just knew how it was going to go, um, and that was before there was any money. I mean, you know, yeah. it's you know we're it, it, so it, it was it negative really money. It, really it was it was yeah. negative money. It was negative money for quite some time. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I but yeah, I, I think communication has to be number one on that list. Yeah, we did a similar thing where the first things that we put in place were actually legal documents to really define. Um, I think set the foundation really for the business and and make sure everything's clear cut and we know. Um, like you said, who owns what and where the lines are drawn, and that this is a 50-50 partnership and. Um, it can get dicey if you wait too long to, to do that stuff. Um, I think naturally for us, our, our skill sets, um, they complement each other and that he's a lot better at certain things that I'm not frankly, and, and vice versa. Do you find that to be the case for the two of you? You know, Ben, you have a background in law. So do you tend to lead more of the sort of operations and, and Stephen uh, communications and marketing or how does that split fall? Yeah, yeah for I mean, sure. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I mean like early on, especially, um, you know, it was just the two of us. I mean, having Steven's kind of, you know, brand focus was, I mean, it was, it's stuff that like was always so squishy and amorphous for me as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Like I never quite, I never, I never understood marketing and especially working in a law firm. Uh, law firms don't do marketing um, or if they do it, they do it extraordinarily poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the ones that I've, I've been in contact with um, compared to, you know, like the, the, the kind of more global brands around the world. So like having him be able to do that was great. And then, you know, like just my lane was one that, you know, Steven, you know, had no interest in doing as well. I, I don't think, Steven, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if there's like a, no. a secret, a secret lawyer deep inside you, but. No, but it also in, in things, uh, you know, leaked out in smaller ways, like we, I hate reading long documents. It's just something I'm not good at, not a fan mm-hmm. of it. And that translates to long emails too. And so before we had a real team, Ben and I were CC'd on like every single email and Ben would do this thing that I would notice or he would like slack me. It was like, hey, uh, uh, if you, do you see that email from so-and-so? Here's the deal. Where it was very much, he knew I wasn't going to like get bogged down in it and like read it and cliff notes it for me. And like, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of really small things things like that that hard to quantify and and you put a count on that showed up and you just you recognize uh you recognize those things in each other like and 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 if you're really good and successful i think you just become good at noticing those things and helping each other out Mm -hmm. you know you bring up email i think that's leads me into the section I wanted to explore today with you guys is you really seem to establish a strong company culture. Um, and one of those is how you communicate with each other and your team. Um, and I read somewhere that you don't use email, it's Slack only. And I think that's amazing for us. I mean, I, we are constantly trying to figure out the best way to communicate and, and make sure where everyone's getting the details that they need and trying to consolidate, but email has still 
been such a huge part of our communication. How have you guys done that transition to, to Slack strictly? Yeah. I mean, from the beginning, it, it, it came up. I don't remember. We, we started using Slack, I mean, really early. But so no internal emails allowed, obviously, if you're communicating with external people. But a lot of our staff, that's not, that's not really a thing that they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for us, I think both Ben and I hated inbox purgatory, right? Just every day you're spending hours on email. And so started using Slack and then I'm a really big, weirdly like systems and process guy. Like I get really excited about things like GTD and getting things done. And so mm-hmm. from the beginning, we organized it. And so um, every launch that we have and has its own Slack thread and um, every team has their own Slack thread uh, every every project. And so we're really, really gangster about you talking about that launch on that thread. And, and so started from the beginning, it's onboarded. Uh, at first, it, people were kind of murky about it. And I've replied to emails, uh, is Slack broken? That's like all I reply <laughs> to emails about. <laughs> and, and it, it really just, because there's a lot of importance here. One is transparency. If there's a project, usually multiple people are working on it. And so having a two-way conversation, unless it absolutely needs to be private, is just kind of damaging. It creates redundancy, right? Mm -hmm. And then usually 10 people know the answer to a question. And so you ask it on a Slack thread, first person can do it. And so really, it really hinges around... Uh, I think transparency and and stopping these, these one-on-one conversations that don't need to happen. And we did it early on, and so now it is ingrained. And I mean, I, trying to do it at a large company, I'm, I'm sure, would be way harder than how we have it now. Mm-hmm. And I, know, I don't know if there's anything you want to add. No, I mean, I, I echo all that. Um, it's like Slack's not perfect by any means. None of the messaging systems are. Yeah. But it's it's worlds better than email, um, you know, with the organizational techniques we can because it's you can do a top down organizational kind of structure, right? Like Stephen was saying, you can force everything into one channel, whereas with email, it's kind of all over the map. Um, and the the real one of the one of the big benefits, too, is that we are, I don't want to say immune from, but let's say less prone to phishing attacks, for example, hmm. because you know, the people like there's you know a ton of hackers out there who will get, you know, will spoof like Steven's email, for example, and try to email our AP person and be like, hey, would you send a wire to this company? Mm-hmm. And instantly you can be like, well, that's fake because Steven would never send an email. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's kind of <laughs> like second and third benefits, you know, tertiary benefits to that um, mm-hmm. that are, are really nice. Not something we planned on, but kind of as it kind of shook out, we're like, oh, this is actually, this is actually very, a nice little benefit. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you... I, I just want to jump in here real quick. Oh, go ahead, no, please. Um, I think that those are all excellent points. And it kind of leads me into just how you were thinking and formulating and starting your business. And we work with a lot of like D2C brands. And like D2C is definitely like the hot topic. It's a hot word right now. Hot, uh, And, um, you know, for me, I see this more D2C as like a distribution model versus a actual business model. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to, you know, when you were starting this starting gooder um you started out as a d2c now you've gone into this sort of wholesale world where you're working with retail partners all over um so you know do you think it's necessary for d2c brands to expand their distribution to retailers in order to, in order to grow and i think it varies i think it really depends uh we've seen you know we were 
we started as a D2C brand. Like that's what we were. Yeah. We started getting interest from retailers from our, you know, our margin. We could we could do it. And so we we went into B2B pretty quickly and we kind of saw this um this slide of most of our business direct to consumer, then two thirds of our business being B2B, and now we're back the other way. And so they do feed each other. Uh, I think you absolutely have to have a health, healthy direct consumer brand in this day and age. We saw that mm. in COVID. I mean, that's what allowed us to um, um, uh, keep going and thriving. Mm-hmm. And so it really depends. Uh, I I think it's good. Uh, and I think one of the main reasons is you need a lot of free advertising being in stores. And so if you can make mm-hmm. it work for you, it, it, it helps you uh, more than hurts you as long yeah. as you don't let it get too big. <laughs> yeah, I, I, to Stephen's point, the I mean, there's, yeah, there, there's some, as long as you make sure you're not um, kind of sacrificing uh, financially or operationally even to do, to, to get in the stores. I mean, you know, it's, this isn't the 1980s anymore. You don't need to be in Nordstrom's to get your name out there. Mm-hmm. There's so many other ways to, to do that. And so just making sure that there's going to be some deals you just say no to. Um, and being aware of that just because either the, you know, they're asking for too steep a discount or, you know, they're asking for too much from you operationally. I mean, if some of the vendor manuals we get now from some of the bigger retailers are like a hundred pages long of things they require from you. If it was just myself and Steven doing that, we would, it would be a nightmare. I mean, it'd be mm-hmm. all we do is like take care of that one vendor and you kind of then get into the situation where your energy is way too focused on one thing. Once you have a team who can handle that and who can focus on it, it's not as, it's not a big as ask, but mm-hmm. yeah, just making sure that you're not, you're not, you know, focusing on it to the detriment of your DTC. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, looking, looking deeper into Gooder, uh, you built the brand on basically four pillars and, and I think that's really helped set the stage for the culture, the rich culture that I was speaking to earlier. Um, and I'm just going to read them, them off what I have as a, one, work hard, play hard. Love that. It's always been a big motto in my life. Uh, two, don't take life too seriously. Three, ever tried, ever failed. No matter, try again, fail again, fail better. And four, have fun. So we speak a lot about sustainability and how that is outside, or I should say more than just environmental. And when I look at these four pillars, it really seems that there's an element of sustainability written within the, between the lines of these, um, you know, basically maintaining spirit, maintaining personality, maintaining focus. Um, you know, what, what is it that led you to, to create these? Is this something, these four pillars that you set the, the brand on something you did early on, or did these evolve as, as you started hiring people and, and, and working more? Where'd you get those from? I'm curious. I, I don't, I don't, I don't have those as our four. I, I would love to hear your four. I got that from <laughs> a site called Goodwire that had an article oh, got a, about you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think oh, yeah, I, yeah. I think you you captured the essence of it. Sorry, I, but yes. um, no, yeah, I'd love uh, to hear. Please correct me. No, no. Um, you know, I always think about um, uh, it's hard what we focus on now versus I think have fun is absolutely what we started with. Yeah. We thought running was fun, and um, and so we wanted to build a ra- brand around that. Um, uh, you know, our three things, our two core values are have fun, um, uh, authenticity. So making the goal being, if the goal is being, uh, uh, authentic and people don't like you, it's okay. If the goal is being liked, people don't like you, you're fucked. It's like, (laughs) we don't need to be liked. We just need to be ourselves. And, and the third one in there is challenging the status quo. And there's a lot that wraps up in that. And 
um, you know, I think Ben and I talk about this a lot, love sunglasses and it's a really fun brand, but what the coolest thing about having a, a successful brand is um, being able to invest in things like 1% um, for the planet, which uh, mm-hmm. I'll let Ben talk about. And then for me, it's being able to run the culture. We put people first at our company. It's a really important thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the, the business is awesome, but it has allowed us to do other things that we're passionate about. And like that has made all the difference. Yeah, I actually discovered you guys through 1% for the planet. So we're members as well. Um, I was at the event in Portland a couple of years ago. Uh, you guys are giving out free sunglasses. And that's that was my introduction to Gooder. And I actually yeah. haven't bought a single pair outside of Gooder since because they're fantastic. Um, but Ben, I would love to hear what sort of inspired that that idea or that, um, you know, joining 1%. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, I think pretty early on we you know, as part of, you know, you know, I think we made, I don't know how large we were, Stephen, but we started doing read gooder. Like we just had this, we had like a monthly book club essentially internally. It was, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe there was 10 people there. Maybe it might've been less than that. Even it was early 18. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and w- I think one of the first books we read was um, let my people surf by Yvonne Chouinard. And it was, you know, I obviously I knew about, I knew something, I knew some about Patagonia's story and kind of, what what their values were um but it was just very kind of inspirational to see this billion dollar company um kind of bucking the trend of sacrificing um your your values in order to grow bigger and that indeed you don't need to do that it's not a mm-hmm. it's not a zero-sum game it's not you know oh for the for every value trade off that you know, you get this many dollars they they kind of prove that you can maintain who you are and make an insane amount of money. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you talk to any entrepreneur out there, if they told you your, your business is worth a billion dollars, they would take that in a heartbeat. Um, so, I mean, that was that was hugely inspirational. And then obviously within that, we learned about 1% for the planet um, and it, you know, had that conversation. It was a pretty easy decision um, from both Stephen and I, as far as, you know, making that commitment early on so that it doesn't become, you know, when, you, when, when you're 1% is, maybe a, you know, a thousand dollars, then, you know, that, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, but if, you know, if you, if you are a hundred million dollar company and all of a sudden you're going to donate a million dollars, then you start to think, well, I mean, a million dollars, is that, is that too much? Is this and that, but like by percentage, it's, it's the same. And so making that commitment early on was super important to kind of maintain that. Um, and it, it, the nice thing too, is it kind of, kind of in, you know, uh, ingrained in us this kind of idea of giving back. And so, you know, we work with, I mean, a ton of charities, even outside of 1% that are, you know, aren't included in that 1% calculation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's never a question if, you know, someone approaches us and wants to do like a co-brand to promote stuff. So we did one with like the Denver Zoo recently. Um, And it was, you know, we didn't, it was, you know, basically donated all proceeds. And that was, that was an easy decision because it's just part of our culture now. Um, And 1% kind of helped us, you know, basically make that commitment and make it real something more mm-hmm. than just like window dressing. Something that's, you know, you know, we're legally bound to, to make these commitments. And I, you know, as a lawyer, I love that. Um, mm-hmm. You put something down on paper that means something in my mind. Mm-hmm. So. And, you know, going back to the idea of culture and this that question is really directed at Steven in a way, um, you know, being having that idea of fun and really making sure that 
um, that's like a live well in the company. How do you sort of integrate that into your marketing um, in, in a sustainable way? Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting, if you, know, if you see the brand, the absurdity and the irreverency is basically a direct reflection of myself, Ben and Carrie, who's uh, also our, our third co-founder. Uh-huh. When she went to high school with us too. And, uh, and I think what's interesting is I think sometimes when people see our brand from the outside, they think that we just sit around and slam margaritas all day. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to do a lot of work to communicate what we mean by fun. And to us, fun is, is being good. Like that's really important and being inclusive and being inspiring. Fun is not celebrating without hard work. And mm-hmm. we work really, really hard. And something that's a constant reminder in our culture is Gooder is a fun place to work. If you love the work, it's not an easy place to work, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's something we had to kind of come to a head with in the past couple of years, you know, we're 75 people now, and, and really understanding what we mean by fun. And, and so it, it's, it's been a really fun, no pun intended, <laughs> fun journey to, to figure that out and make sure that, uh, make sure that we're living into that value ourselves. Did that answer your question? It, it, it does. And, I, and I'm curious to what um, you say it's hard, like what makes it hard? Is it, what, what are the challenges that you, that you um, face as, as like a unique brand? Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think, so for example, it is so good or we do quarterly reviews we don't do yearly so every Uh quarter we have a quarterly review process and uh we're really big on feedback and what's what we learned early on is when we onboarded people is that there's a fair amount of deprogramming we have to do because people aren't used to our culture and people are not used to giving nor receiving feedback and so we train people how to do that and and quarterly um uh, I'm, I still sit in every quarterly review and there's a, a committee and, and people are like, Hey, here's what I've done. And so it's kind of a, like, so people have to, they're on the hook. You can't hide it good or it's actually impossible. And I think that's an uncommon thing. You know, when you work at a company and there's Janice over in the corner, that's been there for 15 oh, yeah. years and nobody, yeah. nobody quite knows what Janice does. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't exist. That doesn't exist at good. So, so I think the big thing is you, you can't hide. Uh, and, and, that is different than a lot of places. Yeah, I read through some of the in the same article so I'm, that I quoted earlier. So I hope this is accurate. Yeah. Um, but I read through some of your your onboarding stuff um, and your applicant process. And you know, ha, is it true that you have people draw test draw a an octopus? <laughs> well, it's an octopus fighting a pirate. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Octopus true. fighting a pirate. There we go. Okay, that sounds that's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have no idea how hard it is to get, say, uh, people <laughs> applying for an accountancy job to take that requirement seriously. I literally passed over dozens of applications from very competent people for our uh-huh. finance team who just didn't draw the picture. I was like, I was like, come on, we're serious. We even put like in like brackets, we're serious. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's, I think it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> and I, I would love to hear like how you came to that idea and, and what drove it were you just seeing um that you weren't getting the type of people that you wanted like how'd that come about ben do you remember like it's fuzzy in my mind yeah i mean i i I legitimately think it's one of those so i mean we would i mean this i mean this is an extension of like all the irreverency that Stephen was talking about so it started as something funny 
So I think in addition mm-hmm. to, you know, drawing that picture, we also require that people be okay, uh, be okay with uh, wrestling with a golden retriever. And uh, what was what was the Bosley requirement? There was like, yeah, I, something I, with like yeah, rubbing, uh, yeah. something bass now that I can't remember. Yeah, but basically, you know, it, it was kind of a joke. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's recommended you wrestle with my golden retriever because he's <laughs> wonderful, and but it's not it's obviously not a requirement. But I think what we found is that as we move forward and kept that requirement, the people who sent us the picture who actually did it were were by and large one uh, more they're they're probably more likely to to get our culture and want mm-hmm. to be there, and two. When you give someone a task before you're giving them money um, and they do it, it's a good indication that they're the kind of person that they're a doer. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't sit back. They they see something they, they kind of see an opportunity. And, you know, it's 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 gone beyond that, too, where, you know, the, there's people who have gone above and beyond anything like that. I remember like someone brought like a shrimp cocktail one time. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's it's that kind of thing. Like, I don't think any of these things are, like you know you know, absolutely necessary. And like I said, I'm sure we've, we've, we've glossed over very capable candidates who didn't draw the picture, but it, I think it's, you know, it hiring's hard and anything you can do to try to get some indication of, you know, an applicant's actual desire to be there and be with your company rather than just collect a paycheck. I mean, do whatever you can. Uh, I remember the origin of it now. Um, <laughs> ben wrote the, uh, the on our website like if you uh, the return policy and early oh, early on right, it, yeah. in the return policy there's a line that says you know to issue return we never were serious about it you must um also submit a drawing of uh, an octopus fighting a pirate yeah and so <laughs> right. our customers would actually start would do it and, and and it was a really funny thing and so when we started actually hiring people that weren't our friends um I just always love that and so i just threw that on there as a requirement and to ben's point it's a litmus test and mm-hmm. it, it shows one, you read the whole thing and two, that you're willing to work. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, it's still there. Like we throw your resume in the garbage if the, it doesn't come with this. And it doesn't, it can be the worst drawing in the world. And that's not the point. It's the point that you did it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I should frame yeah, those and have like a wall of, of, of oh, submissions. Oh, we're collecting them. We're, uh, <laughs> we're the, now that we have a DC, uh, uh, I legit have a box full of them that, that I want, but at some point we're going to like decoupage a wall with them and make it like wallpaper. Oh, that's awesome. Or, or if someone you could do with tattoo, someone's got to get t- tattoo of one of them. Well, there are four of our staff members got a tattoo of Carl uh, uh, on a, on one trip. Uh, Carl the Flamingo, <laughs> our our mascot. Uh, so that that was pretty cool. That's dedication. That's loyal. Yep. Yeah, it is. So um, continuing on with the idea of the, your onboarding process, like you know, I'm I'm really fascinated by it because I haven't quite seen or read about other uh, companies onboarding process quite like yours and you know I, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas behind behind it um and so you know I love the idea of and correct me again if I'm, this is wrong um that you you know have a 15 minute connection call with every employee so they got to call everyone um it's like a sort of a personality test um yep. and what else are you guys kind of doing to help um facilitate that in integration into your culture yeah i mean we 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 recognize early on that our culture is so different we have to do a fair amount of deprogramming and and so that's kind of where this came from um we have a podcast called the culture gooder podcast and we actually did a mm-hmm. whole episode on our onboarding because it, it it's so vast but 
it basically it's three months it's really intensive the first week you actually don't even really do anything like close to your role so um everybody uh we do we use what's called the enneagram and so everybody gets like like tested for that it's like Mm -hmm. basically like your um like a personality test that we work off of we use gtd which is getting things done it's how we it's productivity and product management so everybody's Mm -hmm. taught that uh Everybody in the first three months has to set up and do a 15-minute connection call with everybody at the entire company. Because, you know, you work for companies sometimes and you never talk to people. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, that new person started. I don't know who they are. And we just never wanted to become that. Mm -hmm. And so the four questions are, you know, what do you do at Gooder? What do you do outside of Gooder? Uh, What's your spirit animal and why? And if you had unlimited funds, where would you take a month-long trip to? Mm. And so everybody, everybody does that. Uh, also obviously everybody goes and uh, gets a bunch of free sunglasses and I know there's like there's other things involved like scavenger hunt and then within the first three months everybody has to uh, all the with 12 different flocks so like ops finance content design uh, each flock leader does a 30 minute deep dive of like hey here's what our flock does here's our values here's who's on the team and so that everybody just gets a really full picture of our ecosystem and it's it's like kind of an immersion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so are you finding that um you're attracting a certain personality type you know you're taking the, the the sort of personality test in a way um are you finding that there's just a general type of person that's drawn to um working at gooder you know early on carrie and i did a the vast majority of the hiring. So we use the Enneagram. So there's like type seven. So like I'm a type seven, business type five, uh, carries type nine. And early on when we started to use Enneagram, when we first got tested, we were disproportionately sevens and nines. And we were laughing. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, that's what happens when Carrie and Steven do all the hiring. <laughs> and now we have a team that does it. Our, our hiring process is seven steps. The first two are blind now. And mm-hmm. so in the past year and a half, we've gotten a lot more diverse because of all these things we added in. And so I think mm-hmm. early on, yes, now it's quite a bit different. Uh, I think the one common thing is what Ben talked to is people who end up here want to work and want to do good work. And mm-hmm. and I think that's that's shown by them making it through um, our pretty in-depth hiring process now. Mm-hmm. now you, you talked earlier about how uh, you put people first. And I, it, it sounds like that just from the our conversation so far. Um, but I would love to hear more about like what you're doing to help continue to build the gooder community, um, to help continue like to build the relationships amongst your team and, and how you're putting people first. You know, do you have like specific, like I, I saw you have tons of like races and stuff on your site. Um, is that, is that part of it? Yeah. I mean, um, one is just, we really want people to get better and so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so that goes back to the quarterly reviews clear feedback um we have a lot of continuing education um part of our early on uh people read the have you read daniel pink's book drive i have not so uh it's it's amazing and, and early on like in 2017 when we realized like oh we have real people and we have to give pay raises and performance system and uh-huh. we looked at drive and drive is an amazing book that Daniel Pink does on like what really motivates people. And there are three things. Mm-hmm. There's autonomy. Um, there, you know, making your own decisions. There's mastery, getting better at something that matters and purpose doing, doing something bigger than yourself. And so mm-hmm. Ben and I actually were like the architect of AMP, um, 
and 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 so we call AMP autonomy, mastery, purpose, and mm-hmm. it is how we run the company. And so autonomy is like a lot of your job and and sharing what you do. Mastery is everybody takes on a mastery project every year of like improving a skill, and then purpose is ten percent time of doing something. Maybe it's working for a nonprofit. Um, I think Ben's first perfect project was getting us on one percent for the planet, mm-hmm. and so. We have a lot of these things there that's like, it's really gauged at making people better and making the world better. Mm-hmm. And I know if, if anything you want to add there. No, I mean, it, it pretty much kind of nails it. But yeah, to, to Stephen's, just to expand on one thing, um, you know, the idea of letting, like having people be, you know, kind of leaving people better than they arrived in, in some respects is kind of my, is the dream behind AMP in my mind. And I know there's a ton of, is, you know, there's a ton of jobs out there that you can get that you're kind of meant to tread water at. Um, you know, I don't know. I've never worked at Amazon, for example, but I, I can't imagine the upward mobility of a, you know, DC worker at Amazon's uh, great at all. Um, and that, that mm-hmm. always bothered me. I, I kind of wanted, no matter what your job is, you know, I'd, I'd want, I want there to be a chance or an ability to get better at something and you know even if that's you know working your way through and becoming like the lead dc person or you know running a warehouse becoming a coo whatever that might be or maybe it's i'm working at dc but i really want to do graphic design well for us if if someone were to come to us in our dc and say hey you know you know working at dc is fine but my real passion is to become a graphic designer would you be willing to you know uh, pay for a subscription to Adobe, or, you know, would you be willing to come, you know, kind of, uh, reimburse me for classes I'm going to take online for design? I mean, I'd, I'd say they're un- almost unequivocally, the answer would be yes, because we mm-hmm. want people to get better at something that matters to them. I mean, if, even if it doesn't necessarily have to do with their job, we could, I mean, it's pretty easy for us to be sold in that for that reason. And, you know, just because I, we want people, even if they, you know, a good outcome for us is someone leaves gooder for a better job. I would say, I mean, Stephen, you, you can correct me if I'm, I agree. If I'm I, being a little too, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, mean I, but uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm no, I'll stop. No, I, yeah, I, I, I think for us, that's, that means that someone came to Gooder, hopefully they got better at a skill that mattered and they were able to leverage that into a better job than we can provide. Obviously we would, you know, if we could counter that and keep them um we would we would try our best but if you know we've had people leave like actually rdc for example i think one gentleman in particular who left for an amazing job and i was just like you know he we were crushed because he was so good and he like he did his job so well but the job he's going to was awesome so you're just mm-hmm. all, all you can do is just be like just be happy for him so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know i think we touched on it a little bit earlier but there's that idea that you know this this actually takes away from the bottom line of a business and i i argue it doesn't but um are you seeing returns um in your in your growth as as a as a business um from the from the focus on keeping um your employees happy engaged learning and and finding out what motivates them to to do their best yeah i agree jonathan i i would i push back on that i think it's quite the opposite you know yeah we value high performers. We train people because good or the, the expectation is that you're perfect or that you never fail, that you learn and just keep growing. And you know, we we track a revenue per employee. Uh, that's kind of a, a metric we use. And I, I think we excel with much less people than 
a lot of companies our size because of all of this work we put into the staff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, obviously we've been going through like really challenging year, um, emotionally, um, stress wise, whether it's business or at home. Um, and morale is just like one of these constant things that I think needs to be, or at least be some social listening, at least on your teams. Um, you know, what are you doing to like keep the morale up amongst your, uh, 75 employees? Yeah, man, it's, you know, it's no playbook for this, right? Uh, (laughs) I always pride myself in having backup plans for the backup plans, just pandemic, a pandemic backup plan never made it to the list. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I think a couple of things. One is we were always a a 60% virtual company. So even before COVID, you had been in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays, Monday, Wednesday, Friday was optional. Mm -hmm. And because of Slack and a lot of other things, we were able to pivot really easy to this virtual world. So that was a gift. And so um, I, but f- fatigue is real right now. Screen fatigue, just general world fatigue, um, you know, not to mention um, um, just everything's going on this year. Black Lives Matter, the election, like, like this has been a heavy fucking year. Mm-hmm. And, and it's something that is just top of mind. And so um, what are we doing? One is doing our weekly staff meeting. We have it every week. You know, everybody has um, uh, put, puts in a box. Um, it's life overwhelm and good or overwhelm. And so good or overwhelm is just workload. And so it's basically a red, yellow, green, right? Like green mm-hmm. is good, yellow issues, red is you, you got problems. And it's obviously we actually define those a little bit clearer than that. But um, and so we added the personal one so that we give people space to kind of own like, hey, I'm doing my job. I'm just not okay. And so every week, everybody updates it, updates this. And if it's strictly related to Gooder, um, your team leader uh, connects with you and is like, hey, what's going on? Like, well, how can I help? What can we move around? You know, spend less time on this. If it's connected to life, uh, we actually have a person on st- staff, Sean, his title is Chief Relationship Officer, and he'll reach out and be like, hey, what's going on? What do we need? And so the big thing is we're creating space for people not to be okay. Like, 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 like it's because it's just okay not to be okay. And, yeah. um, and we're doing other things, you know, virtual happy hours and stuff, but it's just, it's hard. And also, I think sometimes after you spend all day working and on video calls, the last thing you want to do is sit on another Zoom call and have a exactly. drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, you speak to fatigue. I'm definitely fatigued on um, the, the Zoom phenomenon that's popped up. I don't think it's necessarily sustainable over the next few years. I mean, my calendar used to be full of phone calls and now suddenly they're just full of video calls, but <laughs> nothing's really changed. I wouldn't have saw them anyway. Uh, you know, so it's, it's definitely not sustainable um, long-term, but um, you know, for the time being, it's, it, you know, I always put the note, I give, I give a note in there, as you say, give them the space to say, you can just call me if you want. It doesn't have to be, to, to be a video. And I think that's a really important point is to make sure you're giving your people space to, to feel things. Um, because oftentimes we're told, you know, not to share, especially in a workplace. Yeah. Yeah. I, I start pinging people. Hey, do we need to look at anything on this call? Can, if especially it's a one-on-one, like, can we, ju- or can we just do it on a call? Like, can we just go on mm-hmm. a walk? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, there's a, a level of social listening or listening to your employees and, and team. Are you extending that into your community as far as like your, your 
gooder customers? Um, are you, how are you like doing the social listening and, and, and hearing them? So you're not, you know, selling when it's inappropriate or when they're not ready to hear those messages and, and so forth. Man, it's a good question. You know, we made a decision early on in COVID to, we're a fun brand, we're in Reverend brand, and we really stayed away from, oh, how to keep busy at, you know, like, 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 was like, we just wanted to give people actually a respite from mm -hmm, COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's real, you know, but we're, we're, I think the most things you don't see that we do, right? Like, like, oh, this is going on, we should move that launch. Like, this is not a right time to launch a product. Um, you know, obviously, um, um, Blackout Tuesday, um, and really just listening to what's going on. But I would say that most of the things we do, you don't see because we move them or push them because uh -huh. of what's going on in the world. But it's, yeah, it's, this is not an easy year. Um, uh, and understanding that our customers are, you know, we're very inclusive and our customers represent a big thing. And so, um, we just try and be ourselves and, and as empathetic as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, maybe more granular and day to day, we have a incredible customer service team. Um, and they, God bless them. Uh, they deal on the front lines with people who I think oftentimes um, are, you know, like you said, are just going through a rough year, like everyone is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, maybe take out their frustrations in the wrong, in the wrong way with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. um, but they do a really good job of, like Steven says, trying to approach um, every conversation with empathy, even if they aren't receiving the same treatment in return. And, you know, we, they, they, they will share emails with the whole team on Slack of people who are just awesome. Um, and so, you know, to any, to any of our customers that are out there listening that, uh, that share happy things with our customer service. Thank you so much because yeah. you make their day, um, and mm -hmm. honestly make our day. Um, we, we, we really care about our customers. And so we take complaints and we take concerns, all this kind of stuff extremely seriously. We respond, we, you know, we try to respond to every email, like in under 24 hours. Um, and for a company, you know, that's, that's our size. That's not easy to do. And our, you know, our customer service, um, folks are, you know, they, they do an incredible job to try and hit that mark. Um, so yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's something that we like on the day to day, we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. They're doing God's work. And, um, and the other thing, Ben, I, you probably um, speak to kind of how we approached our retailers in May and April when COVID hit, because a lot of our accounts are small, you know, um, run shops, mom and pops and, um, uh, um, I don't know if you could kind of speak to like what the approach we took there. Cause like we, we exercise a lot of empathy with even our B2B partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in March, obviously, you know, everyone was terrified. I mean, like we, we had no idea where this was going to go and, you know, our, you know, being a little candid here, our, our B2B accounts dropped, you know, our, our sales on like from year, year over year dropped 90%. Mm -hmm. I mean, which is just, I mean, your heart goes into your throat when you see something mm -hmm. like that. When you look at the numbers, you're just like, we may not survive this. Um, and we were able to stabilize, you know, around, you know, end of April, May, to a point where we, I was no longer, it was no longer an existential threat. I wasn't worried about if we were going to be able to pay payroll anymore. I was still, and still am very worried about, you know, just general business things, but of course, uh, no longer as essential threat. But, you know, once we kind of stabilized, and actually even before, we, you know, 
I, I still sit in on our finance meetings with our, our VP of finance and our you know, controller and our AP person, NAR person. Um, and we, we talked about, um, you know, we, we had, uh, we had customers who were on 30 day terms, you know, they'd buy sunglasses from us and then we, they pay us 30 days later. Um, we basically reached out to, you know, the person in charge of reaching out and dealing with the customers for payment basically reached out in a very kind of, uh, hopefully, uh, sympathetic and empathetic way as far as like, Hey, listen, we would obviously love for you to pay us on time. Um, because you know, we need the money and cash flow is the thing for business. Um, but given that, you know, those stores were shut down and people couldn't go to them and buy things. And indeed some of them are still, you know, at like 10%. I mean, we, we tried to, we basically told them that, you know, we weren't going to, you know, make any collection efforts. So if they couldn't pay us, they couldn't pay us. Um, and we just, we kind of let people pay us whenever they could. And I will tell you that, from orders that were due when the pandemic hit, I think we have been fully paid up. And, you know, it, it took a lot longer, but no one, no one welched on what they owed us. You know, they eventually paid up when they could, and I like, it's it's really kind of heartwarming to see um, that 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 our kindness was repaid with with them repaying us. You know, I guess literally repaying us. Um, so it's it's. You know it's good, and so we we you're just kind of trying to understand, like you know, because our retailers are our customers as well. Just they're just as important as you know our our you know D to C customers, um, and so we want to we want to make sure we take care of them because I mean especially early on those like single um, store run shops were huge for us. Mm-hmm. Um, they did so much work and just like pumping our brand's tires and making sure people knew about us and like you know people would walk in their stores and they would they would talk us up. Um, and so we, you know, I will never forget that. Like, you know, they're they're great for us, and we want to be as helpful as we can to be for them. So, mm-hmm. um, gentlemen, I appreciate all your time today. I know you have a very packed schedule, um, so I'm going to start to wrap things up a bit. And, and as we do, I just want to give another shout to One Percent for the Planet because I think they're doing such great work. And um, and I'm a, I'm aware you do you make you make their own sort of special pair of sunglasses. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, we worked with them to create a kind of fully uh, recycled pair, basically. Yeah. So it's made from tr- from trash. Trash. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Recycled called... plastics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. We we call this we call them uh, these shades are trash. Uh, was the name of the colorway. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love your the 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 um names you have on your. For your shades, I have the the ones I have on my head. I think are the ginger soul or the other yeah. ones, um, which is I fall into that category. As blonde as I am, I can't spend more than three minutes in the sun um, before it's turning, <laughs> turning bright red. Yeah. Um, so I'm just gonna direct people to your site, Gooder. It's Gooder dot co. Dot com. Yeah. Um, and um, can they people buy the one percent sunglasses on your site? Are they up right now? Not we, even- so- we we sold out. Okay. Yeah, we sold out, but we, I mean, they, they sold out um, so much quicker than we ever thought. Uh, it was a huge success. Um, so we, we're, we're talking with 1%. We're going to do it again next year for Earth Day. Awesome. Um, and I, I may be stepping on toes here, but I'll go ahead. And I, I think I think even REI might be um, in on that launch this time around because they were super excited about it. So yeah, we're, 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 we're doing it again. We're, we're super excited about it. It's, you know, obviously 1% is huge for us. Um, Anything we can do to get their message out more broadly um, is awesome. And 
yeah. So yeah, they'll, they will be available again kind of in a few months, I guess. Great. Well, thank you. Congrats on that. Aria, that's a great partner to have. Sure. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, well, congrats. And thanks again, gentlemen. Awesome. Thanks, Jonathan. And John, this is a pleasure. If you have any questions, comments, or want to be on the show, please email me personally at j at weareunconquered.co.